What do you think of if I utter the words, the good old days? I'm sure if I say the good old days, something has entered your mind. Picture it, get it in your mind right now. Think of what the good old days might mean to you. Close your eyes, go there for just a second. I think for some of us, it's, it's different things. We have different good memories. And, and I would just about get, guess that if I said, think back to the good old days, one particular memory uh, comes into your mind. Maybe it's a, a, it's a particular smell. Maybe you remember what it, your, your house smelled like when mama was cooking something. Um, maybe it's... Maybe it's, you know, Christmas morning when you, you, you wake up and, I don't know, as a little boy, I couldn't decide what I was more excited about. I didn't know if I was more excited about what was in the living room or what was in the kitchen. They were, they were, they were both equally nice. You know, maybe you remember, um, you know, particular, you turn on the radio and you hear particular music. Maybe, maybe you remember the, the good old days of something like that. Maybe, maybe... You remember the good old days is the day when you had to worry when you came to church about whether or not you were going to have a seat. Maybe. Maybe the good old days for you was when you'd walk outside and you'd see 15 kids playing ball in the, the yard outside. But think back to those good old days, and I want to share biblical truth with you today. And it's always hard to hear. There was never such a time as the good old days. They never existed. Good things happened. But ever since Genesis 3, every generation has had its own issues. Every generation has had its own problems. Every generation has had its own sins. And if you can think about a time when there weren't these problems, please let me know. The truth of the matter is that we as people have the tendency to look back on the good old days and forget all the bad parts about the good old days. And to look at the world we live in now where we can't ignore all the bad parts and say if we could just get back to the good old days when it wasn't like this and when it wasn't like this and when we had this. Well, here's the truth. That there were no good old days and the problems then were just different. And there were people in those days that they had their good old days too. If we could just get back here, too much is different now than it was then. Every generation has wanted to go back to the good old days before. Well, we're going to look in Haggai today and we're going to see what God thinks about the good old days. We're going to see what God thinks about moving forward, about His plans, and why we should not long to go back to the former glories of the good old days. We should look forward to the latter glories that God is bringing us into now and to come. So, if you would flip to the book of Haggai, if you're not there, I'll give you a minute because, I mean, let's be honest, how often during the week do you just randomly flip to the book of Haggai? Um, we'll let you get there, and it's only a couple pages long, but we're going to be in chapter 2 today. Told some of my other buddies, I said, we're preaching through Haggai. They said, really? That ought to be a fun Sunday. I said, yeah, all six of them. <laughs> so we, if, you, if you would get there, you ought to probably be close to there by now. If not, we're going to read it out loud. If you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in chapter 2 of Haggai on verse 1, and we're going to go down through verse 9. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, going down through verse 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? 
Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that it's not so much a question of whether or not we can get back to the good old days. That it's a question of, is our God capable of bringing the latter glory to greater fruition than the former glory? And Lord, we glory in the fact that you are capable of doing that. That there's always something new. There's always something exciting to look forward to with you. That you've always got better plans for your people's future than their past. It's just for all of eternity, it's always going to get better for your people. Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray that you would do a work in our hearts today to help us see that you have great, grand plans for your church. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I titled our sermon today, The Coming Glory, because I think it is a great virtue of the church. It is something that we as Christians should always be doing. Stapleton Baptist Church, your pastor believed that it, it believes that it is a healthy spiritual position for us as God's people to keep our eyes forward most of the time. You know, occasionally, think about it like a car. If you're driving your car down the road, occasionally you need to look in the rearview mirror to know when something that is behind you is going to affect where you're going. But if you drove down the road always looking in the rear view or looking out the back glass and you never looked at where you were going, you're not going to go very far very safely, are you? Sometimes what's behind you has value. But what's behind you almost never has as much value as where you're going. God has plans for His church. And listen to me, y'all. God has plans for this church. Not just His church in general, which He does, but this church. How do I know God has plans for this church? We hear and we breathe. That's how I know. If God didn't have plans for this church, we wouldn't be here. We're not pulling one over on Him. He's got plans for this church. And I hope by looking at Haggai today that we can, we can deal with a little... A spiritual hobgoblin of the mind that can bother us for a while. And that is looking back and, and, and always longing for a former era instead of pressing on forward. We want to look toward the coming glory. And this is not just something that, that is, is an issue for us, is an issue for any church, is an issue for any generation. This has been going on since the Bible was written. <laughs> And we see it right here in front of us in Haggai chapter 2. So I want us to look today at a a period of time in the life of God's covenant people, Israel, of the Old Testament, when they were looking at a current work of God and they could not wrap their minds around the fact that God had better plans for them in the future than they had experienced in the past. They could not wrap their minds around it. So we're going to split this into three parts today. And I want us to start by by saying it's okay to remember the past fondly, but it is not okay to live there. It is okay to fondly remember the past. It is not okay to live there. There's a reason that God gave us the ability to form memories. There's a reason that studying history has value. You know, you could probably finish the sentence. Those who, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. You find that that's pretty much true. That there are lessons to be learned from the past. 
And sometimes the past can spur us on you know, to greatness. You know, you have great memories of maybe how something was effective at one point and you want to see it reach that way again. It's okay to remember the past fondly, but it's not okay to live there. Let's look at verse 1 here for a second. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month. Now I want to pause for just a second. Go back and look at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month. It's only been about a month since the people started working. If you remember the story of Haggai thus far, the, the people of Israel are back in the land and they built an altar and they laid a foundation for the temple, but then they got distracted by building their own kingdom. They got distracted by building their own houses instead of God's. And in month number six of their calendar year, God lights them up. And He says, hey, if you want to know why your economy is not functioning the way you want it to, it's because you're building your house instead of building mine. If you cared more about building my house, I might care more about building yours. So the people break. They realize that they have not been fearing the presence of the Lord, that they have let His temple fall into neglect. And in the sixth month, they start building the temple. It only took them about a month to get depressed. Do we relate to these people now? Have you ever started something and you're so, Woo! Yes! We're doing it. We're finally buckling down. We're finally doing what God wants us to do. We're so excited. It only took about a month for them to go, This isn't working. And they're just, oh, These people are so relatable, aren't they? They're us. We get so excited at the outset, and then it just dies. Why is it this doing? We're microwave people, not crockpot people. We want it now. Heard somebody tell me this week, you can have it good, you can have it cheap, you can have it now. Pick two. Think about that and it'll roll in later. It took me a minute too. Uh, but it's only been a month since they started working. That's honestly not that long. But it's apparently long enough for them to notice that what they're building, what they see in front of them, doesn't remind them of what the temple used to be like. Now, it's important to note right now that there are some people present for the construction of this temple that saw the first temple, that saw the temple that Solomon built. Y'all, wouldn't that be neat? Could you, could you imagine? I mean, think about it here just a second. That if you look at the news, have you ever seen the Wailing Wall on the news in Jerusalem? The one wall that is left of the temple complex where the temple used to stand in Jerusalem. And it is constantly flocked by Orthodox Jews that just want to lay their hand on, on the wall of where... And, and it's so sad to me as a pastor... Because why would you want to do that? Because that's where God lived. Like, you're right, but this is where God lives. I don't need to lay my hand on a wall because He laid His hand on me. But these people don't have that experience yet. They're still operating under the Old Testament mindset that the temple is where God lives. It's where He dwells with His people. It's where He's among us. And these folks have seen Solomon's temple. They were there the day maybe that smoke filled it. And, and well, maybe not the day that it was dedicated, but they, they, they've seen it. They've seen the sacrifices brought in. They've heard the temple music. They've seen, and then they were there when Babylon carted them off and tore the temple down and, and took the, the temple ornaments and goods and put them in the treasuries of Babylon. They were there when the, the, the king of the nation had his eyes put out and dragged away into captivity. And they may have thought, we'll never worship in the temple again. It's gone. But wonder of wonder, glory of glories, God has brought them back and freed them from Babylon and the temple's going up and all they can do is look at it and go, man, this isn't like it used to be. 
It doesn't look like it used to. It doesn't sound like it used to. It doesn't smell like it used to. I remember when so-and-so and the temple musicians used to stand over there. This doesn't look anything like that. I remember when the priests, I remember his name, he used to stand over there and I would bring him my offerings and, and this isn't the same. And all the younger folks who've never seen the temple are like, yay, we've got a temple. But the folks who've seen the, the temple before, it, it just wasn't cutting. This isn't what I grew up with. This isn't this temple that Solomon dedicated. This is just a shadow of its former glory. But then God decides to speak. It's funny how things start happening when he does that. Verse 2. Speak now to, same list of folks, Zerubbabel, this is the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and then to all the people. Speak to them. And here's God's message. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Imagine a bunch of people going, I do God. I remember it. Raise my hand. I saw it. How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Now, I asked a couple of questions. And I wrote them down when I was looking at this. And the first question I asked is, is God telling them to do this? Or is God just calling them out for what they're already doing? Is God saying, hey, guys, look at this temple. What do you think about it compared to the old one? Or is God actually just verbalizing what they're doing? I don't know that these people looked at the temple and openly complained to the people around them said, man, this temple isn't anything. I'm tired of this. We should have had, we need to get the old temple back. We need to, we need to go back. It needs to, be, it needs to look like the old one. It needs to smell like the old one. We need to put the same carpet down in this one that was in the old one. You know, I don't know that they were actually out saying that. This might have been something that was in their mind or that was in their heart, and God just verbalizes it for them. God has, a, God has a sneaky habit of doing that in the Bible where people keep it to themselves and they think God doesn't know about it and it's okay because it's in their heart but not coming out of their mouth. And God just repeatedly tells us if it's in the heart, it may as well be in your mouth. I think God's honestly just calling them out. And then here's the second thing I noticed. God doesn't actually say that this temple is lesser in glory than the former temple. He just says they see it that way. And in their eyes, it is as nothing. And I don't know about y'all, but to me that was a stunning revelation when it comes in this passage. That God says, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in whose eyes? Your eyes as nothing. God, understand, God understands His people. This is... Marvel in this fact for just a minute that God understands you. We were laughing yesterday over in the Mosley house because Margaret Claire was talking. Now, when I say talking, you know what I mean. You know I don't mean she said, hey, mama, I'm hungry. She's three months old. Talking for her is, hey, 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 And she did this for hours. And we were just giggling because she was trying to communicate. But you know what's really funny? I used to think it was crazy when parents would say, I know what they mean when they cry. But she's got a sleepy cry. She's got a hungry cry. She's got a please change my diaper cry. She's got a pay attention to me cry. She's got a I'm done with this toy cry. And you can tell them. Do you know that God understands you that way? I don't even know how to tell God what's going on in my heart. Yeah, you do. He knows you better than you do. 
And God looks down at His people and He sees this cry. He sees this grunt. They may not even know how to explain what they're feeling. That they just don't feel a connection with this place, with this temple like they used to. And God says, I know you see it this way. I know you feel this way about this. That you can't separate the temple that exists now from the temple that now exists only in your memories. I'm going to ask you a question that might touch the heart of some of you in a way that might make you sad. How many of you, when you see Stapleton Baptist Church and you dream of what it could be, your first thought is what it once was? Let me tell you something that I can say with the authority of Scripture. God's goal may never be to make this church what it once was. It might be to make it something new. It might be to make it something different. That doesn't look like it used to. That doesn't sound like it used to. That isn't made up of the same people it used to be made up of. And God might say, look at it now. Look at this church. I'm going to speak to, I, I, and, and, I, and we're we going to get some gospel this morning, but this is written to God's covenant people. So for me to be faithful to Scripture, I have to speak to God's covenant people. Members of Stapleton Baptist Church, this Scripture is talking to you right now. Though this prophet be dead, yet he still speaks. Let God speak to you through Haggai. Look at this church. In your eyes... Is it nothing compared to what it used to be? How do you see it now in comparison with what this church uses it in your eyes as nothing? You might have the ability in your heart of hearts to say, yes, God. That's how I feel. That's where I am. That's what's in my heart. That's what's in my soul. And that... Honestly, that's a good thing. That means you care. It's good to have love for God's church, for His witness in this community. It's a dangerous thing when you look around and you don't see any differences. Period. But does it reassure you that God has had this conversation with His people before? That God knows this feeling. That God knows how to address this. It's not shocking to Him. It's okay to look into the past and recognize that there were good times, but usually those good times are not as good as we remember them to be. They had their problems. And yes, there were glories then, but there were also issues. And God is more than willing to challenge the notion that the past was the ideal. God will get, I don't know if y'all know this about our God, but He'll get in your face. He will challenge you. Well, God, if we could just, are you sure you want to do that? Well, I loved it. Yeah, but did I? God might have different plans. All of these comparisons are in our eyes, not in His. God the church might have prospered in a bygone era because that was God's will for it to be done that way in that era. Times change. I love the Chronicles of Narnia and one of my favorite things the line Aslan says to one of the children is, my dear children, things never happen the same way twice. Things are different. That doesn't mean they're better or worse. They're just different. As a church, as Stapleton Baptist, listen, God is not calling you back to reclaim some former glory. He's calling you to where we are right now. Right now. Don't, y'all, the past is gone. That's why it's, it's you, you can spell it P A S T or you can spell it P A S S E D. Either way, it's past. 
It's gone. Everybody ever heard anybody say, this too shall pass? It did. And here we are now in 2017. We better not find ourselves still arguing the fights of 1980. 1980's gone. It ain't coming back. I've heard some of our state missionaries say, based on the way that some of the churches in our convention are structured, if 1950 ever comes back, we're ready to roll, y'all. We got everything we need. We got the literature. We got the music. We got the culture. We ready to go if 1950 ever comes back. But it's not. We're in 2017 moving forward at the pace of 60 seconds a minute worldwide. What is God calling us to do right now? This is, I'll just give you this verse. It's on your handout just to kind of make a point that what we as people have a tendency to do is we tend to remember the past is better than it was. Exodus 16, 2 through 3. And the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Where had they just been? Egypt. They had been slaves. Beaten, whipped, forced to build giant buildings, go and gather straw to make their own bricks, had all of their firstborn children murdered by Pharaoh. Egypt equals not good. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Y'all, life was not good in Egypt. You know why you sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full? Because Pharaoh owned you. He fed you like a dog. Oh, but we never were hungry there. No, but you were also never free. We tend to, whenever we're in a situation we don't like, go back to the past and find what we did like and say, oh, those times were better. If we could just go back to that. We do this. Every generation of people has done this. Don't go back to the past. It's okay to remember it fondly. It's not okay to live there. We're in 2017. Let's serve God there. Let's not try and go back. You may have served God well then. What are we doing now? Where are we today? So it's okay to remember the past fondly. It's not okay to live there. It's okay to be nervous about new efforts, but it's not okay to be paralyzed by fear. Look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Okay, see? What did being strong mean to those people? It meant rolling up your sleeves, putting on your boots, grabbing your mortar, your trowel, and your temple construction tools. I don't know what those look like. And work. God, why won't you build our church? Why are you sitting down? Be strong, my people. We're being strong. We're waiting on you. Here's the difference. Waiting on the Lord can mean two things. A lot of times when we think wait, we think, okay, set your alarm on your watch. I'm not wearing one, so this looks goofy. Set your alarm on your watch, and we're going to wait. And God will come along, and He'll do what He's going to do. We're going to wait on the Lord. Or, it can mean this. When you go to a restaurant, and someone waits on you, what are they doing? Are they setting a watch and waiting on you to come pick up your food? Or are they serving you? Maybe we got the wrong definition of wait on the Lord. God says be strong and work. Why? For I will be with you. Guys, I'm with you. We're gonna, I'm going to accomplish this. You just trust me. Don't worry about whether or not it looks like the old temple. Worry about whether or not you believe I'm good for my word. 
If you believe, Stapleton Baptist Church, if you believe, Lord, I'm going to start preaching if I don't look out. If you believe that God is good for His Word, you will work. If you don't, you will sit there. If you believe God is good for His Word, you will get up and you will move. If you don't think God is good for His Word, then what's the point? If you don't think God's good for His Word, why are you here? What are you doing? God says, I'm with you. You know what this reminded me of? And it's, it was so neat that the high priest at the time was named Joshua. Because this reminds me of exactly what God said to Joshua in the book of Joshua. This is just like that. And I'm in trouble because I'm about to go off script. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, this would have been one of the most chilling verses for any Jew alive at the time to hear. Moses, my servant, is dead. Panic ensues. Who led us out of Egypt? Moses. Who spoke to God in the tabernacle? Moses. Who did we bring all of our confusion to? Moses. Who parted the Red Sea? Moses. Who brought water from the rock? Moses. Except all those answers were wrong. God brought them out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. God brought water out of the rock. God fed them in the wilderness. God gave the answer to all of their confusion. Moses was just the mouthpiece. So God to His people says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then He goes to Joshua. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And you hear God again in verses 6 and 7 of that same chapter tell Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. If you believe God is with you, if you believe He's good for His word, you will go. If you don't, you will stay. You will be paralyzed by fear. You will be afraid to make any move forward. And you will wait on the Lord instead of waiting on the Lord. Moses, he released. Joshua was a general. God had different intentions for His people at different times. And that called for different leaders. But the point is that God is still the one running the show. So when God says, work for I'm with you. According to the word, verse 5, that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. God says, do you remember that time? I'm about to get happy. Do you remember that time whenever you were in captivity to a force that you had no power on your own to free yourself from? And I sent my, my emissary to go to that force and forcibly remove you from his grip and bring you into a new land, a good land, to be with you for it. Do you remember that covenant I made with you? See, here's where this gets fun, Stapleton. For the Jews, that was bringing them out of Egypt. It was Pharaoh. That they had no way they could free themselves from Pharaoh. They were captive until God sent a representative, Moses, to bring them out through a great show of power, the plagues, into a new land where they were free from that evil, where they could prosper in fellowship with their God. That's the Old Testament. Now let me flip the script and tell you the same story in the New Testament. 
Instead of Pharaoh, it was Satan, sin, and death. Instead of the Jews, it was us. That They are the power that we could not free ourselves from no matter how hard we tried. And so God sends His representative, His Son, Jesus Christ, to come forcibly by show of power, i.e. death on the cross and the resurrection, free us from this power who will do everything He can to chase us. But what did God do? The same Red Sea that, that freed the Jews crashed onto Pharaoh and killed his army, right? The same cross that frees us from Satan, sin, and death will crush them at the judgment one day. And we will live in a promised land forever blessed by our God, free from everything that tormented us and captivated us in the past. It's the same story, the the Old Testament and the New. So when God tells His people, hey, remember back when I did that, when I made that covenant with you? That's the reason you don't ever have to be afraid I'm done with you. So if he can tell the Jews to look back to Egypt, what can I tell you to look back to? The cross. Stapleton, how do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is not done with you? Because he died for you. You don't die for somebody and get up out the grave and forget them. That's an insult to our Lord to think that He cares so little about us that He would do something small like die for us. That's an insult to Jesus. He died for you. He purchased you. You're His through His blood if you've trusted Him. And you think He's going to cast you aside? I would say God forbid, but He has. Stapleton, when you find yourself looking there going, I have no idea. Are you sure God's going to do this? Yes, I am. Look at the cross. According to the covenant He made with you on Calvary. So He is with you now. Says the Lord of hosts. So, John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, right? Stapleton Baptist. Well, first off, if you're here at Stapleton Baptist and and, and you're a member of Stapleton Baptist, I would hope you would say you believe in God. If you don't, we need to revisit your membership. But if you're here and you're a member of Stapleton Baptist, Jesus said you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is not separating himself from God. This is more you believe in God the Father, believe also in God the Son. If you believe that God is good for his word, if you believe that Jesus is not done with you, then you should not be paralyzed by the fear, what if this doesn't work? Well, what if what doesn't work? Here's what we know as a church. That God has plopped us down in a little place called Stapleton in Jefferson County, Georgia, United States of America, planet Earth. It's our full address. This is where God's put us, right? So we know our job is to reach as many people for the gospel in this area as we can. Outside of that, I have no idea how we're going to do that. I've got things that we try, that we are trying... But do you know what happens if we try something and it doesn't work? I believe God's with us. So let's try something different. And if that doesn't work, let's try something different. Because if God's going to use us, which He's going to because He died for us, and I believe He's good for His Word, so I want to keep trying stuff, eventually something's going to take. The way I know nothing's going to take is if we sit on our rears and don't do anything. Because according to Haggai chapter 2, sitting down and not working is a sign that we don't believe God is with us. Getting up and working is a sign that we believe God is with us. So it's okay to be nervous about trying new things. Every time we do, y'all, I I have a little mini attack. Emily has to, to calm me down. 
sitting over in the corner with a paper bag hyperventilating. Is this going to work? Emily says, I don't know. Calm down. I'm like, you're right. And we try it. Sometimes good things work. Sometimes they don't. That's okay. We'll keep trying. Don't quit. Do not quit. Because God's with us according to the covenant He made with us on Calvary. And then finally, it's okay to be momentarily discouraged, but not to be defeated. Now, I left a little bit of time for this because there are some interesting language things here that we need to talk about. Um, so this verse, verses 6 and 7, use some very interesting terms. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it is a little while, so God says be patient, okay? It's not all going to happen overnight. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And sometimes that's easy for a pastor to believe. It's going to take that to wake some people up. Hadn't you ever felt that way? Why won't people listen? One day God's going to shake the earth. They will. Don't worry. The sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations. Flip on CNN. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is one of the interesting language parts. How many of you do the desire of all nations or something relative to that is probably capitalized in your Bible? See that? Probably most of you. This is a traditional interpretation, but it is not required by the original Hebrew. A more accurate translation of this, because when you see that, what do you immediately think of? You think they will come to the desire of all nations. You think God, or more in a Christian sense, you think they're going to come to Christ. Right? You would think that when you see the desire of all nations capitalized. That's an admirable sentiment, but that is probably not what the text is saying. If you look at the original language, it's probably more accurate to translate this. The desirable things of all nations will come. Well, what does that mean? It was easy when I thought that verse was talking about Jesus. There's only one problem. So your pastor is extremely, extremely theologically conservative, which means I'm only going to preach what the Bible says. I'm not going to read my own meaning into it. Nothing else in the book of Haggai looks like it's talking about Messiah. It looks like it's talking about God dealing with His covenant people. And right now he's talking about building the temple. And what does he say in the verse after this, in verse 8? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Put all this together. When you look at the original language and you see God talking about the silver is mine and the gold is mine, these people are looking at what God has called them to do and they are looking at the bank account and they are saying, I don't see how these things fit together. You want us to build this temple, but we don't have what it takes to build it. You want us to follow your instructions and in how your temple is supposed to be built, and God, we just don't have the resources. Let me translate this out to how this affects this church. God, I know you want us to reach this people over here, but we just don't have the resources. We just don't have the teachers. We just don't have the space. We just don't have the finances. And what's God saying? I'll take care of it. But God, how do we know you're going to take care? This is right back to the same problem, isn't it? Are you going to get up and go because you think God's good for it? Or are you going to sit? This is dangerous, y'all. I'm going to preach on the left side now. This is dangerous. When we say the way God wants us to operate is get up and go, I'll provide for you on the way. When we say to God, provide for me, then I'll go, we are essentially looking at God and saying, I'm holding my obedience hostage until you give me a show of good faith. When you say that to God, do you know what you are effectively telling him? The cross was not enough for me to trust you. You got to give me something more. If you'll just prove to me you're going to do this, then God, I will grace you with my obedience. 
I will honor you with my service if you will prove me you're good for it. When really what God is saying is, I'm good for it. Get up and go and I'll make sure you got what you need when you get there. Abraham, get up and go to a land I will show you. Not Abraham, get up and go. Here's a map. God says, you want to know where, where all the, the resources are going to come from? Ooh, this will make you pastor happy. It's going to come from people outside. It's going to come from all the other nations. Well, God, we're looking at us. There's not that many of us left. We're your covenant people. We're trying to build your kingdom. And we just don't have enough to accomplish what you want with those of us that are here. Stapleton, do you hear me? We don't have enough in us to accomplish, God, what you want. I know you don't. That's why if you'll get up and go, I'll bring in what you need from outside. Do you hear what God's saying in His prophet? The resources are not in here. They're out there. Where are Sunday school teachers? They're not members yet. Where, where are youth workers and children's workers? They're not members yet. Well, some of them are. Where, where, are, where are our new deacons? They're out there. God knows they're not in here. I don't know. Maybe some of them are. That's possible. But God knows. We need people from outside, Stapleton, do we? Yes, we do. So why are they out there and not in here? This goes back to the same problem. Is he good for his word or is he not? If he is, get up and work. If he's not, then sit there. Luke 16.10 this is from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. And it is very, very, very sobering. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. What did it take for God to bring what His people needed for the completion of His temple in. What did it take them doing? Being faithful with what He had already given them. If they had not been faithful with what He had already given them, this principle tells me He would have had a very hard time giving them what, the rest of what they needed. Because if they had not been faithful in a little, they weren't going to be faithful in much. So Stapleton, let's take stock of ourselves as a church. This has been a really family-oriented message, hasn't it? Don't shoot the messenger. I just preach what's in the book. And if the book talks to God's people, then, then bless the Lord, I'm going to talk to God's people. I don't get to call the shots. He does. Stapleton, hear me out. There are resources in this church that are untapped. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about folks in these pews. There are resources that are untapped. Well, why won't God give me somebody to do this job? Because you won't step up and do it in the meantime. Well, pastor, are you aiming at my toes? Nope, but if the bit dog howls, it's not my fault. I love you, but this is God's Word. And the prophets pull no punches. That there are resources. God has never called and will never call this church to obey Him that He has not given you what you need to do so. There's a difference between can't do it and I think it's too hard. 
And I really honestly believe with all my soul, or I would not say it behind this pulpit, the reason that we lack some of the resources that we feel we need is that we are not making the best use of the resources we have. Who have you shared the gospel with this week? Who have you gone to see this week? I'm asking myself these questions too. What have you sacrificed for the growth of the kingdom of God in Stapleton this week? Are you heartbroken over the state of the kingdom of God in Stapleton this week? Lay yourself on the line. And if it pushes you to the brink, you might find out that God is a God of the supernatural and you can go beyond what you thought your limits were because your God is limitless. And don't be surprised if a person you reach ends up being your replacement for that job you think is too hard for you. If you don't want to do the job, that's fine. Go find somebody, lead them to the Lord, train them, and let them do it. Simple. But as long as we don't do that, it seems like it's just you. So Stapleton, y'all heard y'all's message for God's people tonight. But if you're here today, you're like, well, you're just talking to all these church members. You're not talking to me. I'm not a church member. I don't know the Lord. Do you believe God's good for His Word? See, that covenant, the reason that my Stapleton folks know that God's not done with them is because God made a covenant with them on Calvary when He shed His blood for them. You can be under that covenant as well. And you can have faith that God is not done with you. Until you lay yourself down and come to that cross on Calvary, you are outside that covenant and you have no guarantees. You need to come to Christ. You don't need to worry about building the kingdom. You need to worry about not ending up in hell. We'll worry about the kingdom in a minute. You got to be part of it before you can help grow it. So I want to give you an opportunity here. Stapleton, the, offer, the altar is open if you've got anything you need to pray about. But if you lost, you've got a few options. You can either come down the aisle and you can chat with me and we'll set up a time to talk later. Uh, maybe this afternoon you can fill out your guest card and we'll follow up with you. It's on the side of your bulletin. Or you can catch me at the side door on the way out because we can't go out the back. But if the Holy Spirit's working on you, don't leave. Don't leave without making a move on that. Uh, Joyce and Abby about to lead us in a couple of verses of a hymn. I'm going to pray. And if you need to come, you come. Don't put it off. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord, to study your word, to look at it and see that we have a glorious reason to believe that we are not, that you are not done with us, that you have grand plans for your church, for this church, if we will just stand up and obey you. So, Father, we thank you for that grace and this mercy. And I ask if there's anybody here today who has not trusted you, who has not entered that covenant with you, that you shed your blood for on Calvary so many years ago. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.